The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, September 1st. I'm Terry Arango with my guests, Susan Vaughn Kratz and Stephanie Mock. Susan has 26 years of occupational therapy experience as well as specializing in neurological rehabilitation and pediatrics. She holds specialized certification in sensory integration and neurodevelopmental therapy for pediatrics and craniosacral therapy. Stephanie Mock lives in Wisconsin with her husband, Tim, and her two children, 16-year-old Robbie and 10-year-old Julia. Good morning, ladies. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Let's start with Sue. Sue, what is the craniosacral system? The craniosacral system is it's human anatomy that was just recently discovered and defined about 30 years ago. It's essentially the tissues that wrap around the brain and the spinal cord and the fluids that flow through it that help the brain work um, at its best. All right. So what is craniosacral therapy, and, and who is Upledger, and how did he relate autism to the craniosacral system? Dr. John Upledger is an osteopathic physician um, practicing out of Florida. Um, in the 1970s, in his regular medical practice, he discovered um, these systems um, during uh, neurosurgery, he was watching it uh, being done on one of his patients, and he started asking questions of why the system was never thoroughly studied and how it might relate to some of the problems he saw in his medical practice. Did he work with children with autism in his medical practice? Not until he went into research. He did his research at Michigan State, um, and he developed cranial sacral therapy techniques in, in, as he tried to influence and improve the cranial sacral system. Um, the first group of people that he tried his therapy on were children with autism who were institutionalized and hospitalized uh, for severe uh, problems. And how did it help them? Um, through his the writings in his book of how this group responded, um, not only did the children become more calm and relaxed and less fearful and agitated, but they would wait for him at the door with smiles and wait their turn to be treated. Um, he describes, you know, the, the responses these children have in his uh, textbooks. That's wonderful. And we'll talk about some of these resources later. But, Sue, can you please contrast uh, chiropractic, craniosacral therapy, and cranial osteopathy? Um, Chiropractic, which actually evolved from osteopathic medicine <clears throat> several decades ago, um, is the study of 
the vertebrae and the effects on um, the spine, spinal column and the nerves and the rest of the body. Osteopathic medicine um, has its roots in um, believing the, the theory of the human body being uh, soft tissue and organs aren't healthy if they're not moving well. A fluid is not moving well in the body and the organs are static, um, then they're in a state of ill health. Um, Osteocraniopathy um, came out of the osteopathic world and um, there were some doctors who believed that when the bones of the head did not move well, then they put a uh, bad pressure on the brain, causing the brain not to move very well and the fluids not moving well. So cranial osteopathy is the study of trying to gently manipulate the bones to realign um, the bones of the head to take pressure off the, the brain. Dr. Upledger studied that part of um, osteopathy, um, but he, his theory changed in that he didn't believe it was so much the bones that caused the problems, but that it was the membranes or the tissue underneath the bones that actually wrapped around the brain, somewhat like saran wrap wraps around um, things that you buy in the store. So his cranial sacral therapy techniques were to, um, in effect, soften and relax uh, these tissues that wrap around the brain um, so that it could work better. All right. And how would this manifest behaviorally? I know you were telling the wonderful story of how the children at the institution were greeting Dr. Upledger at the door and that they were there and had um, severe behavior problems originally. So how can behavioral challenges be associated with specific brain area dysfunction? Well, any pressure on any organ might cause pain. Um, it certainly is theorized that it causes stress. And stress in the body, um, we're, we're going to have hormone release um, that's going to elevate what we call the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system essentially is the part that um, throws us into a fight or flight reaction or um, when something's bothering us, we're going to have these elevated um, behaviors where we're going to try to get comfortable. Um, and if you're in that state for a chronic period of time, um, the whole brain is under um, stress. Now, when you say try to get comfortable, what do you mean? The human body tries to get into a, a state of homeostasis, meaning you're not working too hard, your, your systems don't have to work too hard. Um, you're trying to find a balance. So when anybody talks about trying to do a therapy that helps balance the system, it's tr we're trying to get the, the organ, the brain, to balance between a parasympathetic state and a sympathetic state, meaning not too hyper, not too stressed, not too agitated, um, feeling just right, feeling comfortable with your environment. And that, we can, for years we've had behavioral interpretations of whether or not someone's comfortable in their own skin. Um, sensory integration, um, the whole practice of sensory integration has been to interpret um, where a person is at with their nervous system or their brain. 
um, whether or not their system was hyperactive or hypo-reactive. And that's, that's just another way to explain this, this balance between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system. Okay, and we'll get into the specific things, the outward manifestations that we may see uh, the child exhibiting a little bit later. So please tell us about the fluids that surround the brain, what they do and what happens if their flow is impeded. Within the cranial sacral system, you, you have the, the membranes that contain the system. And inside the brain, inside an area called the ventricles, cerebral spinal fluid is produced. And it, as it is produced, it actually enlarges the brain, just like your lungs enlarge with air. As you bring air in, your brain actually expands as cerebral spinal fluid fills into these cavities. And it reaches a certain um, pressure or, or um, weight, if you will, um, obviously, within the cavity of the brain, it can't enlarge too fast or you're going to have a problem. Um, when it reaches that certain pressure gradient, um, it's, the brain stops producing and stops filling with cerebral spinal fluid. And then there's a period of time where the brain uh, shrinks or pushes the fluid through its, um, its channels. And we believe that the channels go through these layers of membranes and through its path um, down and through the ventricles and into what's called a uh, central canal in the spinal cord. And there's a very predictable path um, that you can, you actually can put some contrast dye and see where this path of cerebral spinal fluid goes. Um, mm -hmm. And that essentially is the, what makes up the cranial sacral system is this fluid moving through these membranes. It, it actually has a measurable cycle. It's six to ten times per minute is the normal cycle, um, which is essentially five seconds of filling with fluid and five seconds of narrowing. And uh, we call that the cranial sacral rhythm. Does this fluid also nourish the brain or carry away toxins? It does all of that. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Bruno Chickley, who, who has worked alongside Dr. Upledger and has paralleled his work with lymphatics, um, believes that, cranial, uh, that cerebral spinal fluid within the system interfaces with lymphatics, and we know that lymphatics is a, uh, our cleansing system. Uh, it filters. Um, but it also brings nutrients, and it transports hormones. Um, we also, one of the theories we have with this craniosacral system is that it also conducts electricity that may be what generates electrical impulses um, through the nervous system. Now, when you um, increase or when you balance this motion of the membrane surrounding the brain, does that help with inflammation or does that in and of itself also help with detoxification or um, neurological function, neurotransmitters or something? Well, that's what we believe is happening. Um, by when, when organs don't move, when the fluids around them don't move, it does create, can create and further uh, aggravate any situations of inflammation. Uh, substances are not supposed to stick around in one place. And if, if it's not moving, it can cause further inflammation. So Dr. Upledger speaks at length about this in his, in his writings about how increasing 
the body's own fluid dynamics actually might be a natural way of chelating uh-huh. and cleansing uh-huh. um, the body. So, again, sticking with that osteopathic theory that a, an organ that moves and flows is in a better state of health. Uh-huh. And are there any other ways that the neurological system impinges upon the immune system? Um, well, all systems are interrelated. So if one system is stressed, um, it, it is an a easy theory to jump to that other systems are stressed. So if the nervous system um, is in a chronic state of stress, the immune system is going to follow suit, and vice versa. If the immune system is in a chronic state of stress or fighting um, whatever it is fighting, it may keep the nervous system in a, in a state of over-arousal or high alert. The same thing can be said with the GI system. Um, of a, the All right, and we'll talk more about the GI system and walk through a session of craniosacral therapy when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within. Your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Susan Kratz and Stephanie Mock talking about craniosacral therapy. And before the break, uh, I had asked, we had started to talk about the neurological system impinging upon the immune system and 
do. Some people think that a birthing injury uh, adversely impacts the neurological system and that that adversely impacts their, the child's immune system. Um, well, we can talk about um, birth injuries um, just from a practical standpoint. The baby's head is very soft. The bones are very soft and flexible, and um, anybody who's given birth can attest to the fact that there's a lot of strain, um, both on mom and baby's part. And additional forces and strain, um, we believe, can put in some adverse uh, restrictions into those membranes around the baby's head. Mm-hmm. And um, go ahead. I was just going to say, how does that impact the future? Um, well, for a baby to start off life with adverse tissue um, restrictions um, is not necessarily a good thing. Um, so we try uh, to provide cranial sacral for newborns as early as possible. Now, in the case of autism, I've treated um, many children who have had some kind of birthing incident. Um, it might be prolonged uh, labor, um, prolonged transition where they're stuck in the birth canal, um, and a severely misshapen head, um, even use of vacuum um, extraction. Um, and Dr. Pleasure even talks about the effects of C-sections on the cranial membranes, that there's pretty large force um, put onto the baby system inward into the uterus when uh, the cesarean is performed. Um, and it, it may put some undue pressure into the baby system. Mm-hmm. All right. So now, can you please walk us through a session? What is the actual method of craniosacral therapy and how is it performed? Craniosacral therapy is a, a soft, uh, it looks like a massage in a way in that our hands are placed on the child or the adult. Um, Sometimes we'll start our hands on the body. Um, eventually we end up on the head. Um, the, the therapy itself are very specific techniques, um, touching anatomical parts such as certain vertebrae um, in the neck or the spine or specific bones on the head um, or the, the sacrum, which is a large bone at the bottom of the spine. And these are anatomical spots where the connective tissue or the membranes are attached where Dr. Upledger believes we're having the most positive effect on stretching the membranes and softening and loosening. Um, So each technique is is specific um, of of having our hands placed on an anatomical structure. When When you say to me you're going to be placing your hands on my Spine bones or my neck bones, I kind of wince, but how much pressure do you actually use? The pressure is so light, um, and on a child it's usually lighter than the pressure we would use for an adult. Um, in our trainings, they actually put a nickel in our hand, which is five grams of pressure, and they tell you this is how much weight uh, you're going to push into this uh, system. Um, so it's very light, and what I believe is happening is that's the amount of pressure needed to engage the, the connective tissue. Um, if you push too hard, you're actually into bones and muscles, and that's not the system we're, we're trying to um, influence. Um, we're really trying to engage with the, the connective tissue and the fluids. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a very gentle therapy. Very gentle. Um, if a child is a little concerned uh, with touch, like if light touch uh, bothers them, um, we we might do some sensory strategies to get them prepared. We might even do a social story um, so that they are less alarmed um, by light touch. Most times, though, um, within a few minutes, they are realizing that they are not going to be harmed. And I always have parents with us. Mm-hmm. What if the child won't lie on the table? Uh, that can happen. Um, I've been known to do cranial on a child walking around the room. Um, we can sit in a chair. We can lay in a pillow pit. We, I've been in ball pits uh, doing cranial work. Um, I've even been in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber doing cranial work. Wow. Um, so it's, it's individualized, and we, we keep our options open. Stephanie, how was your son Robbie at the beginning? Would he lie on the table? Um, he would not. He was a pretty, he was a mover. <laughs> so, and he, you know, was very uncertain, although he had been um, seeing Sue for several years for sensory integration therapy and OT services. So Sue was very comfortable with him. Robbie was very comfortable with Sue. But no, he, he didn't really want um the table at that point, and so Sue did use the pillow pit with him because he was very comfortable in the pillows, and so that's how they started. Um, now he runs to the table, and if someone is in the room when we get there, that's not usually, he's not so patient waiting for his turn, um, so he gets right up on the table and mm-hmm. he's ready to roll. Mm-hmm. And he tells me where to work. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Um you mentioned GI earlier, and I promised listeners that we would get back to that. Does craniosacral therapy help other organ systems or tissue restrictions elsewhere in the body? Does it help the gut or constipation? Well, rather than focusing on, on a specific diagnostic label, um, with craniosacral, I think we can say things like it can help the effects of inflammation. It can help the effects of any type of restriction um, that the body is in, in, is experiencing. So for kids that I know have GI issues, um, I will often treat the, the stomach, um, the esophagus, the intestines, um, and even the liver and any, any of the surrounding organs and we feel for uh, tightness. We feel for restrictions where organs are not floating. They should be floating in the body. The, the, human, the live human body is like a water balloon, and the organs should just have this buoyancy within the tissue. Um, the way it feels is when you're holding a water balloon in your hand, you can feel those subtle movements of liquid underneath. That's, that's what a healthy body should feel like. And when tissues are inflamed, restricted, um, uh, bound down, um, you, you can feel that with your hands. You can learn to feel that. And you also feel heat? We can feel heat. We can feel heat where there is uh, tissue not moving. It's, it's entrapped. Um, some people say energy. Um, it depends on your frame of reference. Um, but you can, you can detect heat. Heat is actually something you can feel when releases are happening. And I can talk about the concept of release, during the treatments, um, you, your hands detect an, an area that, that needs some attention, be it bound down or tight or uh, hot. 
um, and we do our very gentle, sustained stretch. And as the release is happening, you can actually feel heat um, come out. It's almost like plugging in an electric blanket or a heating pad is what it feels like. And the child often, and or adult, often feels it too. Um, sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes they react to it as if, you know, they feel a sensation and um, they might startle. Sometimes they startle. Um, but we encourage them to just stay with it and come back to it. Um, but those are those are some signs that, you know, something is happening and, and a change is being made. You know, overall, Sue, it sounds from what you're describing as if this therapy encourages the body's own healing processes. Yes, that's exactly how Dr. Upledger describes it. Mm. All right. So now what are some of the things you might see in your child that would indicate that craniosacral therapy could be helpful? Well, the the people that come to see me, um, they're very common um, if there are head banging issues or uh teeth grinding or if they are doing some other self-injurious behavior, um, that's, that's word-of-mouth referral is, is what sends those kids to my office. Those are certainly something you would want to try cranial sacral with. Um, I, I think those are behaviors that tell us that the child's in pain. And um, any type of aggression outwardly, I, I also... My first interpretation is that that child is in pain or in some kind of discomfort. Uh, certainly uh, an aggression uh, issue is uh, someone who's locked into a fight-or-flight pattern of behavior. And a fight-or-flight pattern of, of being there all the time is, is what we call the sympathetic nervous system bias. They're stuck in that um, overload. And cranial psychotherapy is great at, at trying to calm that down, helping to calm that system down so that they can relax on the inside. What about if your child always wants deep pressure? Uh, the need for deep pressure I sometimes think is a, uh, a an asking for some cranial psychotherapy, um, especially in the head. Um, if a child pushes their head into your stomach or into the pillows of the couch or pushes their whole body, like I, it, kids who will climb between a mattress and a box spring to sleep, they're obviously seeking deep pressure. Um, that might be an indication that they're trying to adjust something themselves. It also might mean that they, they the sensory input uh, is a nice calming and organizing, um, but it, it also might mean that they're trying to adjust something in their own system. What do you mean by organizing? Um, organizing is just another way to say calm down. Bring the system out of a stress state and into a homeostatic, relaxed state. Okay. So if I could summarize um, some things that uh, a parent might see in their child that indicate that craniosacral therapy uh, might be helpful would be things like self-injurious behavior, um, you said flight, fight or flight, Response, aggression, need for deep pressure, teeth grinding, head banging, and now it's time to go to break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enza Medical. We'll be right back with Stephanie Mock telling us all about Robbie. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back. This is Stephanie Mock and Sue Kraft talking about craniosacral therapy and Stephanie, you may need to reiterate a little bit, but please tell us about Robbie's history. How did you and Robbie meet Sue, and what did you see in Robbie that made you feel as if craniosacral therapy might be a good thing to try? Sure. Um, Robbie is 16 and a half. He actually just started um, 11th grade this morning. Um, so we have been seeing Sue for almost 12 years. I, I call it the long-term plan. And uh, we originally started seeing Sue for sensory integration and, and different OT things, and then gradually it evolved into craniosacral. Um, she had been trained by, she had gone down to have training at the Upledger Institute and came back and told me about it, and I thought it would be a very good thing to try with Robbie. He still was nonverbal. He still was not potty trained. So he had a lot of GI issues. We've had a lot of inflammation issues over the years. So it was just another thing that I thought, you know what, why don't we give it a try? He's going to let us know how he's feeling um, with how he acts because at that point we were, as I said, he was nonverbal. Wow, what a great way to put it. He's going to try to let us know how he's feeling by how he acts. Yeah, and truly he has had self-abusive um, behaviors where he bites his hands, um, 
just a lot of different things. So we always look at those things, even when he was nonverbal, as communication. So what is he trying to tell us? Because we all wish we could be mind readers to know what's going on in our kids' minds and to be able to know how they're feeling, their frustrations, and how to help them feel better so they can function better. So we started with Sue, and I really don't know how many years ago um, Cranial Sacral came on board, um, but it was just was a really nine. good thing. Originally, like I said, he didn't get on the table, but Sue was very resourceful, and he was very comfortable in the pillows, um, so that's where she did it. And we've always done back-to-back where we would do OT for an hour with Sue, and then we would do speech therapy with the speech therapist at the clinic for an hour, and we always had the OT first to kind of get his body revved up, ready to go, you know, feeling the best he can to go into a speech therapy session because speech was very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just have gradually done done this with Robbie. Um, we were going every week in the last couple of years. We've had to go every other week. Um, he loves to go. He always is asking for Sue. And I always think that's a good thing. And um, he hops right up on the table now, and he has for, you know, the past several years. And he now tells Sue where he wants her to work, whether it's his head, his stomach. He does have severe GI um, dysfunction as well as gastritis. And um, he has a lot of inflammation. So he was he was down to – he um, started single words at age 8, and um, he was still – single words for several years and one time on the table he looked at Sue and he said let's go to Hardy's for a cheeseburger and that was the first time he had strung so many words together and he was very intelligible which is huge wow so we were very thrilled thrilled. I I do remember that particular day we were working on his cerebellum (laughs) that's all I know (laughs) when he said that well, Stephanie, you were mentioning um, the GI issues um, repeatedly. Um, yeah. So as as wonderful as the cheeseburger um, verbalization was, I assume you didn't go for the cheeseburger to Hardee's, but did Sue um, help him with the GI issues? Is that why he was biting his hand, that self-injurious behavior? Was it because of GI pain? I know some other kids who do that. You know, it's still hard to know. He still has that horrible um, self-abusive behavior. It is better at times, but it it comes back, and um, now we think it's more of a habit, and he does it when he's frustrated, but he also does it when he's happy, and I, I think it's a calming thing for him right now. I do think early on it was because of pain. Um, we know for a fact he has had a lot of GI bacteria over the years as well as GI yeast, which we've treated um, on and off. We know that he has a lot of inflammation. So I think for Robbie and his pain tolerance has been so high that as we're getting his body feeling better, I think his pain his pain is coming down. Um, but he still has the self-abusive behavior by hand-biting. You know what? I actually read an article recently where um, that, that was talking about, um, like, digging in one's backside and then the, the child smearing it, fecal smearing, um, because of um, there being stool stuck there and, and the child is having discomfort and that's why they're doing it. But then after that is resolved biomedically, that legitimate biomedical issue is resolved, then the child still has that behavioral habit, mm-hmm. just like you were just talking about 
um, and then it can be addressed behaviorally. But first, you must absolutely look and see what is the root physiological cause. Uh, how is the child trying to communicate a medical issue through their behavior? Exactly. And yes, as much as I would have liked to take him um, to Hardy's for a cheeseburger to reinforce that wonderful language, Robbie has been gluten-free, casein-free since age five, and that's been a, a key part of um, getting him healthy. So um, we didn't we didn't go to Hardy's that day. <laughs> right now, some children experience seizure problems. Does, did Robbie ever have a seizure? Um, he did, and actually it's been very recent. He had a grand mal seizure on July 3rd, and that was his very first seizure that we have known about. Um, and afterwards, we were in North Carolina, and uh, Sue saw Robbie four days after that seizure when we got home. And um, it was very interesting because he was, he was ready to go to Sue's when I said, we're going to go see Sue, and he was all over that and out in the van. Um, and he did tell Sue that his head was heavy when he started, and by the time she was done with him, his head was light. Oh, interesting. Sue, do you have any comments on that? Um, I, I know that he told me specifically where on his head, not just his head in general, but um, on the left side of his head. He, he pointed exactly where I should put my hands. Wow. Yeah. And we have since done a 24-hour EEG, which came back abnormal, and he was he was having activity in the left temporal lobe, which would have probably been where he was having right. to work. Right above his left ear. Yeah. And remind us how old Robbie is again. Robbie's 16 and a half. And he just had this happen. Recently. He just had his first seizure. Right. Yeah, that, I hear about a lot of kids having that. Um, you know, around puberty or older children. Well, Sue, what can a parent reason? What you know? What backtrack is Robbie having some great conversations with you now? We were talking about verbalization. Well, he's now verbal, and um, the first time I started hearing Robbie say clear words were on the cranial sacral table during our sessions. Um, and I would say now that we're having conversations, um, and instead of Robbie just saying words, he's actually talking to me and wanting a response. And we tell jokes and we tell stories. Um, he tells me what he does at school, and um, we we joke back and forth, um, and he laughs. So it's, that's it's wonderful. Quite an exchange on the table. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sue has seen an awful lot of change, as have we. But when someone sees Robbie, you know, once a week or once every other week, um, you can really tell how he is feeling a lot better and obviously becoming more healthy, fixing different problem areas. And um, it's great. We love Sue, and we wish she would just come and live at our house because <laughs> then, you know, Robbie, I think, would be even happier. And... No, I think you were talking about the different places that you can do craniosacral therapy with the child if they don't want to lie down on the table. You mentioned the ball pit, a pillow pit, a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. I've done it with them sitting on my lap uh, or on mom's lap um, or underneath the table. Uh, Uh Wherever they're comfortable and they're not... um, we never ever force a child into it. And if I only get five minutes on the first time um, and that's all they can tolerate, then we we go at their speed. Um, 
and sometimes I, we, the child, I've had a couple situations where the child did not understand what was going on and they were kind of scared. And so I would show mom and dad some things that they could do at home, um, to get him used to just having hands laid on his head or on his body, um, to get him used to that. Mm-hmm. So that our next session, they would be, um, more accepting and, and understanding of what's going to happen. And again, we've we've done social stories around cranial sacral, and we've taken pictures of doing cranial sacral so that it goes on their uh, communication devices or tech system or whatever. It's a good idea. Well, Stephanie, did you ever try HBOT with this? We have. We have. We have a soft chamber, um, and Sue actually has come to our house several times to do cranial in the chamber with Robbie. Um, so, and he enjoyed that, and I think he did really well with it, and I think Sue did fine. It, you know, gets a little cramped when they're both in the chamber. But, um, yes, Robbie's done over 350 um, dives with a soft chamber. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that's another great intervention. What we've done over the years is we've tried a lot of different things because Robbie um, sometimes the kids that just don't respond really great to therapies are called tough nut kids, and Robbie definitely has fit into that category where nothing has made a huge difference for Robbie, but a lot of inf- interventions have made um, nice progress for him and helping him feel better and get healthier. Gee, I think asking clearly for a cheeseburger at Hardee's is a big wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we continue to go on. I always look at different things as, is that a stone that we need to turn over and see what we get, or do we leave that stone alone? And we do turn over a lot of different stones in our lives to help Robbie get better and feel better. Well, I know we're going to be taking a break soon, but, Sue, what can a parent reasonably hope to see after an initial set of some sessions? Um, Well, what I tell people when they're first they want to first try cranial sacral therapy is to try three to five sessions, um, either once or twice a week um, if it's feasible. And that most times is enough time to see what some initial changes um, to see if there's going to be a a response. Um, Okay, and we'll elaborate on this when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the 
complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten, and Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, 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 there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. And before the break, we were talking with Sue Kratz about what a parent could reasonably hope to see after an initial set of some sessions. You recommended trying like three to five sessions. And what, what would a parent be looking for? Um, what I tell parents is that I can't predict what's going to change. Um, but the common changes that I have seen are um, the child may be sleeping better. Definitely a common change we see is calmer, um, less hyperreactive. Um, I've had, I had one child who used to hit his head on concrete, and after uh, two, three sessions, he, that completely stopped. Wow. Um, and that's been for a year and a half, and last time I talked to her, he's still not banging his head on the concrete. So. Good. Jeez. Um, uh, I've had uh, some kids get potty trained. Uh, not all, um, but some. Um, eating better. Um, uh, more acceptance of food and, and less stressful reactions around mealtimes um, might be a common um, reaction. Um, but I would say if I had to pick one change that I would predict would be that they're calmer and more relaxed um, with with less edge to them. Yeah, my son immediately stopped grinding his head into the back of the couch, the pillows in the back of the couch like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, then what can a parent hope to see over time and how many sessions are generally needed? Um, well, that's an individual um, question. Um, and it also depends on how far people want to take the work um, to see what's possible. Um, in hindsight, we've had some families who, like Robbie's mom, had been willing to just keep the sessions going um, for now years. And um, I've had a couple opportunities where um, not only did those initial 
uh, changes um, happen and last, but they, uh, these two, two kids in particular started spontaneous skill development that nobody had even anticipated. Um, one child was completely nonverbal, noncommunicative. He's now uh, reliable with facilitated communication, and the speech therapist is fading away the facilitation where they, they, everybody expects him to be typing independently um, and doing his own schoolwork. And this is a child who is considered very low cognitively. That same child, after his first five sessions, um, where he was a constant physical hold um, by his aide at school to keep from running away and to prevent aggression um, and lashing out at other people, after five sessions that completely stopped. Um, and he no longer was a, a behavioral problem with aggression and um, lashing out at other people. Now, is that a patient where nothing else at all in their interventions had changed? In right. That's that's a case study that I that I wrote up because it was in a rare situation where it was cranial sacral therapy was the only thing added to his program that was um, different um, in his life. Um, there was no other interventions, no medical, no diet um, that had all been established early in his life, um, and we started cranial sacral when he was 10 years old. Um, and so it was a pretty pure um, intervention uh, case study. Okay, so he was 10 years old, and so you could clearly tell that the flight risk and the aggression and the communication, et cetera, were clearly improvements that he made due to craniosacral therapy. Right, because they had had five, six years of behavioral strategies that did not change any of those behaviors. Mm -hmm. So how can a parent be sure they're finding a qualified therapist who will be safest and most helpful? I recommend, um, if you're looking for a cranial sacral therapist in your area, that the training that is the most qualified um, and accurate is through the Upledger Institute. And you can find all therapists who have been trained through that institute at this website, www.upledger.com. Um, and that is the Upledger Institute where they provide the training courses and you hit find, hit find a practitioner and type in your city or your zip code and you can um, find all the tr trainings that people have done through the Institute. I would always recommend a phone call and an interview to the therapist to find out what their experience is with autism and brain injuries um, as well as other neurological issues and just find out what their experience and their outcome have been. Are you actually allowed to take your child to the Upledger Institute? Um, they still have a clinic there. I know they've been going through some changes because of the economy. Um, they uh, had been running intensive uh, therapy sessions um, where you would get a week long of, of intervention. Um, but you'd have to call the Upledger Institute and find out what their current um, situation is. Okay, are there other resources like books that parents can read in advance to learn more about the subject? Um, yeah, well, at Amazon.com, if you just type in the subject cranial sacral therapy, you can get all the books that are available. But I would start with a book that Dr. Upledger wrote um, with a couple colleagues in 2008. It's called Cranial Sacral Therapy, What It Is, How It Works. Um, or a book that Dr. Upledger wrote in 1998 called Your Inner Physician and You. Um, and it was written for family members and the 
general population on just the history of how cranial sacral therapy came about. And what's your website? Um, people can reach me at specialtherapies.com. Okay. Uh, Stephanie, are there any comments you'd like to leave us with? Any take-home messages? I just really think that um, cranial has been one of the better therapies that we've done for Robbie. And I just think that with our kids, especially nonverbal, who can't tell us what they're feeling, what pain they're in, that this is just another thing that we can do to help our kids feel better and to be able to function better. And we have been so blessed to have Sue and Special Therapies Clinic in our lives. They just, you know, have been there for us. And like I said, Robbie's been out there for um, about 12 years. So um, we continue, you know, to see progress, and we're just so thankful. And I'm sure there are other therapists out there um, that can help other children. Yeah, I'll, I'll say if my child started um, talking in sentences on the table, I think that was one of the bigger therapies too. Yeah, yeah. So we're yeah, we're just really thankful for for it. And like I said, it's not a standalone for us by any means, um, but it's certainly something that we do. And Robbie really enjoys it. And obviously, it's making him feel better now that he can go in and tell Sue exactly where to work. And just with the seizure thing where he was telling her where on his head and then the EEG confirmed wow. what was going on yes. there. I mean, that that, that's impressive. huge. Very cool. Yeah. I would like to say, though, that, um, and even the Upledger Institute has, has made this uh, statement, is that we do not claim that cranial sacral therapy cures autism. Um, and we don't believe we're treating autism. We believe we're treating the brain and the brain function and how the brain is. Um, and having said that, is um, cranial sacral therapy might not help everybody. It depends on what's the status of, of the brain and um, what, what the situation is there. Um, but what I tell parents is that it is worth three to five sessions to give it a try. It will not hurt. It should never hurt. It's non-invasive. Um, and you can, I would certainly try cranial sacral therapy when you're not doing anything else new in your program so that you can give it a, a fair isolated test um, and, and find a therapist that's willing to work alongside with your individual program. Right. And I like your point, Sue, about not treating autism because I don't find autism to be a really useful label. It, there are underlying physiological conditions that go into that diagnosis of autism and right. what we want to treat are the underlying legitimate physiological conditions. That's how I've always felt about it. I know Robbie is a medically sick child. He does have autism, but he's medically sick, so we're trying to treat medical issues. Yeah, he has a diagnosis of autism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Stephanie and Sue, for sharing this information about relieving our kids' pain and making daily living more joyful for children and families. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you, Terry. To our listeners, upcoming conferences with information to help your child include the National Autism Association Conference in Weston, Florida, November 12th to 15th, the Defeat Autism Now Conference in Dallas, October 8th to 12th, and Autism, Changing the Course in Canada, which is a conference from Autism Canada and Autism One in Toronto, October 31st to November 1st. For more information about any of these, please email me at toranga at autismone.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, to our listeners.
thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.